It's been great, right? Well, that might all change today, all right? But before, before I introduce our, our, our speaker for uh, this morning, uh, let me just say, uh, it's been great. We've had Nate Stackerack sharing. He was sharing about Solomon and leaning on the wisdom uh, from Ecclesiastes. And remember that? That was a crazy person who hauled the fridge up on the, on the stage. And you know that as, as you're looking into life's endless options in the refrigerator of life, that you still go, there's nothing to eat, right? There's nothing that satisfies. And they challenged us with there is one thing and only one thing that satisfies us in life, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, next up, we had his mom. We had Miss Laura, uh, Pastor Laura Stackrack up, and she was talking about um, uh, that story on, on Mount Carmel, and she had a video of actually being on Mount Carmel. And, and okay, she is phenomenal live, okay? Laura is phenomenal live. You, if you missed it, I'm sorry. But let me tell you something. I, I was away that week, so I had to catch it online. Hillcrest, we shine online. Oh, yeah. If you're looking for an Easter egg, this is what I want you to watch for. If you haven't caught it, catch it online. What you want to wait for is you want to wait for where the tech department shines in as Laura is praying the prayer that Elijah prayed as he's calling fire down from heaven. All of a sudden, I'm going to leave it there. Our tech department shines. Like I'm telling you, kudos to them. They did a great job. You're going to have to catch that online. After that, we had Tiana. Tiana was out here, and she was sharing with us uh, the story of uh, Mary and Martha, uh, and it was fantastic. Uh, and Tiana, just in all of her sweetness and grace, hits, makes it relevant for everybody in the crowd, those who are young, those who have a little bit more history than young people, and it's phenomenal. She did a really, really great job. Uh, shares about how we can overcome shame. Jesus wants to set us free uh, from shame. One of the lines she said, and I won't forget this, she says, you know, as Christians, we fully expect that Jesus picks up the bill, but we still think that shame is our way of covering the tip. Uh, phenomenal message. If you missed it, grab it online uh, with Tiana. And then last week, how many of you were here last week? Okay. How many of you that were here last week left with the urge to start something on fire? Yes, I'm seeing some young hands. I was worried about that in the crowd. I'm like, the way Danny, bless his heart, was visiting from uh, Regina App, and that guy has a way of telling stories, but he made his stories of his, you know, pyrotechnicians as a child just a little too attractive. I was a little concerned. So fair warning, if you're catching that one online and you've got young people, okay, just keep an eye on them, okay? Don't keep them away from lighters and stuff like that. But anyways, Danny did a phenomenal job of starting a fire uh, in our hearts uh, for the gospel. And this week, well, this week, our speaker is me. So here I am. Thank you. Oh, this is awesome. Steve, you really should let me preach more often. That's an inside joke. That's a joke. That's not even fair. Steve's always saying I could preach as much as I like, but I am just always busy with uh, students. My name is Chris uh, Drennan. I'm on staff here. Uh, I work in our next-gen department, and I primarily work uh, with our students, um, grade 6 to grade 12. Uh, and this morning, uh, this morning, I have the joy of sharing with you my favorite Bible story. Now, you have to understand something. I'm a broken individual. When somebody asks me to pick my favorite something, there's always a lot of inner turmoil. And what this reminded me of is I was spending days thinking about what my favorite Bible story was. 
it reminded me of like in grade school when I'm there on the playground playing with a friend and all of a sudden this friend goes, man, we're best friends. And if I'm honest, most people would just smile and be like, yeah, high five, keep on playing. Not little Christopher. Little Christopher's whole world starts to tailspin. And I'm like, this is a big decision. Best friends? That kind of sounds a little exclusive. And what are all my other friends going to think? And I'm like, you know, are we really able to make this kind of a commitment in our young lives? Like, I mean, summer's coming, and you know well how summer is. And I'm just not so sure I'm ready to do this. And it was, it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. Poor, poor Stewie, not his real name, but I'm, I'm hoping he'll forgive me with that, with that hesitation. And you know what? It's true. I still find myself a lot indecisive. You know, if you want to see that same thing, it's like, you know, my kids ask, like, Dad, what's your favorite color? And it's always like that, oh, you know, blue is so amazing. It's so vibrant. It's great. You see it everywhere. I think, but like, but like green, green has always been there for me. Like, I love green. And then I go, but sometimes orange, like that bird orange color comes sneaking in. It's, and it's, anyways, it's just a mess. So, all that to say, I have a really hard time picking my favorite anything in some areas of life. And as a pastor, this is incredibly difficult because honestly, every time I look at a chunk of scripture and I spend some time with it, and I feel like the spirit moving, I'm always like, this is my favorite chunk of scripture. This is a favorite story. And you've heard me any, anytime I'm getting up here to preach, I'm always like, this is my favorite passage of scripture. Well, it, it just keeps going, right? My, it's my favorite. They're all my favorite. So, this morning, we're going to cover them all. All right? Don't worry, we'll have lunch uh, brought in uh, promptly at about one o'clock. No, I'm just kidding. We're, we'll try to get through all of it. But we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna talk about it all. Um, and what I want to look at this morning is sort of like, if we could hear the whole story, the whole story of the Bible from like 20,000 feet, what would be the things that would stick out? What would be the themes? What would be the things that we could really take home and hang on to? And I want to try and make this as like, memorable as possible. And so I've got some helpers up at the front here. You guys good? Okay, they're going to be helping. I've got some boxes. And then seeing as we're actually talking about the story of the Bible, um, there's a pew Bible in front of you. And we're going to be navigating our way through it so that we can sort of like, if you're a tactile learner, this is what you'll want to grab and hang on. Uh, and we'll kind of page our way uh, through that. So here we go. One of the reasons I love um, a framework or looking at the Bible sort of in the, as a whole story or the big picture is because how many of you have come across an individual Bible story and it's been confusing or it's been hard to understand or it's kind of made you go like, I don't get this. And sometimes we can kind of get lost in that. I remember as a young person uh, being at home, and you know, it was important to do devotions. It was important to read your Bible. And I would read stuff in there, predominantly in the Old Testament. And I would just kind of go like, this doesn't seem to fit. This is weird. Like, I don't know, I don't know what this is supposed to mean. But when you sort of scale out and you get an understanding for the whole context of the story, the grand narrative, what the whole Bible is telling, all of a sudden it gives you a place to sort of hang those awkward or difficult stories on with sort of some form of understanding that it fits in kind of God's big story. And so that's, that's what we're looking to lean into 
uh, today. Um, so, our very first box, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to page one. So you'll have to page through a little bit of preface and stuff. And when you come to page one, you are going to land in Genesis. And it is going to say, in the beginning, God created. So could I get our first, yep, let's get our first box up here that notes our first sort of theme. And there's going to be five of them that we're going to look at uh, this morning. Thank you very much. Well done. Look at that. We got, we got the words facing the right way. It's good. Okay, here we go. So creation. So Tiana did a phenomenal job of already tying her story in with the creation story. So I won't need to go into it too deeply. But yeah, in the beginning, God creates. He creates everything. And the crazy thing is, is like creation is pretty vast. I don't know if you've noticed this, but every year in science, there's new discoveries found at both how large our universe is and how big creation is, and also at how small it is. It really almost seems to be infinite both ways, how big it is and how small it is. And the crazy thing is, is that we serve a God who created it all, made it all work together. It all functions, works perfectly by his design. So God created. In uh, verse Genesis 1:31, we have Jesus, or we have God making a statement about this after he created And he literally says that it was good. It was very good. So to help you with remembering this theme, I want you to give me a thumbs up. Thumbs up? Okay. Right? Do you guys remember? Let's do a little COVID throwback. You remember how when we were all like having to stay like six feet away from each other and, you know, you could, it was almost like you couldn't really, you kind of felt weird approaching people. So you kind of like, I'd always just look at people and go. (laughs) And then what would you do? It's, no? So, yeah, okay, we got some thumbs up. Yeah, you kind of like, are you good? And it's like, it's all good. And it's like, it's very good. So, so we're going to be using our hand this morning, kids, to help us remember all these themes. So our first one is, give me a thumbs up. Okay, now I want you to look across the room, find someone, and give them a thumbs up and see what happens. There we go. There we go. All thumbs up. Yep, it's all good. Good. Okay, there we go. Creation. It's as easy as that, right? God said it was good. It was very good. It's all thumbs up, right? Awesome. We are moving our way through this. No problem. So, where are we in the Bible here? We're on page one, aren't we? This is quite interesting. For as vast and extensive and as dynamic as creation is, you know how many pages it gets in the Bible? Uno. One. And I've spent about ten minutes on it, so that should give you a notion of how long of a message (laughs) this is going to be. I'm just kidding. We'll move a little bit faster. Can I get our second box up, please? Wouldn't you know it, right on the back side of that first page all about creation is the fall. Bam, bam, exactly. It's where everything goes wrong. I can't believe it. It's like all this great world that God created, it's so perfect. And then literally on the other side of the page, chapter 3, you'll read about the fall. Now, in the fall, it's kind of interesting. Uh, we, we all kind of know these stories. So Adam and Eve, uh, there's a serpent in the tree, and the tree that they're not supposed to eat is from the knowledge of good and evil, but the serpent kind of tricks her, gets her to question things, and she reads out and she eats of this fruit, right? And basically what's going on is there's this temptation, 
Adam and Eve are at a crossroads. They can either A, trust God and his definition of what's good and what's evil and be okay with that, or as a serpent suggested, and he wasn't really lying, they could seize it for themselves and know it. And basically what's sort of happening is in their disobedience, they're trusting more in their own understanding or their desire for knowledge, their desire for truth, rather than trusting God, the creator of all, they're leaning on their own internal. They want it for themselves. And in that moment, all of creation experienced a fall. And this would take, this would take a long time to sort of play out, but all of a sudden, People, these people who were set up in creation as the rulers, as God's representatives to the whole world, to rule the world, to harness its potential, to, to release it and cultivate it for God's glory and for their, for their procreation, it was amazing that all of a sudden they seized the knowledge of good and evil for themselves in a way that they would say, we will decide what's good and what evil? What's evil? It no longer rested. And of course, it just wreaked incredible disaster across every page. If you're thinking about a, a hand gesture, we're on, we did thumb, right? We're going to do index finger now. How many of you have seen this before? Yeah, you give that a little shake. I grew up with a shaking finger, yeah? And if I didn't listen, it was a shaking wooden spoon. And so I learned my lesson... <laughs> pretty quick. Yeah, so for our next one, the, the theme of the fall is like this shaking finger about, don't you do that. Like, don't stay away from that tree. Don't, don't you do that. But the fall is there. The Bible has a refrain in, uh, in Scripture throughout it that sort of talks about that they did whatever was right in their own eyes. And forever from the fall, you see that people began to just do whatever seemed right in their own eyes, even if it meant hurting other people, even if it meant destruction. You know, I used to think it wasn't that big a deal. I'm like, come on, they ate some fruit, like big deal, and this made all that mess? Like, can't we, can't we figure out a workaround? Like, it seems a little extreme. But you know, sin isn't something ever to be trifled with. The very next story in the Bible is about Cain. And Cain is upset because his brother's offering to God seemed to be accepted and his wasn't. And he was angry he was angry. And get this. Here's what God says to him. So the divine voice enters into Cain, and he, and he says this. He says, and the Lord said to Cain, this is in Genesis 4, and this is 6 to 7, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you will be accepted. But if you do not, what is, if you do, not do what is right, sin, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have, it, have you, but you must rule over it. The divine voice is saying sin is in play and it's a big deal. You're grouchy and you're upset and it wants to have you, but you must rule over it in the same way that people were de destined to rule over creation as God's representative. God is still saying you gotta rule over sin. But as you know, the next sin does, uh, Cain doesn't do a great job of this, right? The next thing you know, there's a, there's a blood stain in a field where his brother was and Cain murdered him. So we literally go from like disobedience to God, which I, I oh, come on, it's like, isn't it just a trifly thing? Isn't it kind of like a whoopsie? Isn't it like a, we'll just try that again, we'll give you another do-over. Like, it doesn't seem like that big a deal. 
that all of a sudden we realize that the power of sin has entered into the, the world. And the next, the very next sin is a story about a brother killing a brother. Like, Killing someone who is made in the image of God, meant to rule, meant to thrive together as a community, and it's just this destructive thing that happens to this family. Wow. Wow. Not something to be messed with. One of the abiding realities I find from the fall is this reality of free choice, that God has given us the ability to choose, to choose rightly or not. But we see that it's not so easy. Which brings us to our next theme, which is the story of Israel. So if you guys can help me with that next box, bring it on up. Oh, nice save. Well done. There we go. So it's a longer box because it is in fact a longer story. So you could argue that the fall sort of takes place from chapter 3 There's the flood, remember, where God is like, this has gotten so bad, this world needs a wash. He washes the world, begins again with a man of Noah, and then it sort of climaxes again where the whole world sort of decides to build a city in kind of rebellion to God and say, we're going to make a name for ourselves, we're going to make ourselves great, and God looks at it and goes like, no, you ain't, and he like, you know, all of a sudden scrambles all the languages and basically creates the nations in one foul event, and everybody disperses kind of each into his own and according to the languages that God had given. And so the fall could theoretically take you a few more pages up to like kind of page eight. So we've got, you know, creation and we've got fall kind of happening on page eight. And then we turn to the story of Israel, which really kind of gets going in chapter 12. And this one's a bit bigger. If you're you're going with me, you're on page nine. You're going to have to thumb through keep on going. You're going to hit the Psalms. You're going to keep on going. You're going to hit some major prophets. You're going to keep on going. You're going to hit a bunch of minor prophets. And then you're going to come to something that says the New Testament. You're going to stop there. And literally, look at this. Like proportionally, this is the story of Israel. This is the pages it gets in our sacred text text in the Bible. Incredible, isn't it? That's where we are with the story of Israel. Now, the story of Israel begins with a man named Abram. And it's kind of, you've got to kind of hear it in contrast to the, the story of Babel where, Babel, where the languages have been scrambled and the nations have sort of been dispersed. No one's getting it right, right? Since the fall, nobody's really pleasing God. Everyone is just doing whatever is right in their own eyes. And it's, it's horrible. And the story of Israel where God initiates his rescue mission. And he calls one man. One man from which he promises to build an entire nation out of. We find those words, they're fairly familiar to us. In Genesis 12, it's 1 to 3. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. So instead of him having to pursue these things, to do it himself, God is saying, I'm going to do it for you. He continues on to say, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And he gives this promise, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. He was blessed to be a blessing. One man. It starts just as a seed. Like, where else was he going to start? God just calls one man. What's interesting is he calls him to leave 
uh, leave his land and, and go somewhere else. And to leave your land meant to kind of leave the nation or, or, or set aside being a part of that nation. But an interesting thing happens in the, in, the, in the story of Abram is that God makes what's called a covenant with him. It's an agreement. And I won't get mired down into the details, but there's sort of this epic moment where God is making a covenant with him. And it involves like animals cut in half and laid out and uh, kind of as a legal binding contract, you'd have both people sort of walk down through this trail of dismembered animals and carcasses. And it's sort of this thing being like, we're going to be true to each other. We're going to remain committed to this covenant. And should we falter from it, we would have every right to end up as one of these carcasses. And that's how it's supposed to go. I mean, that, in the day and age, that's sort of how a covenant was kind of made with real seriousness and both, both parties walking it. Funny thing happens is when it comes time for Abram to make this covenant with God, God causes him to fall asleep. And God himself passes down through this aisle alone. And the message is essentially that, Abram, you're not going to be able to keep the words of this covenant. You're not going to be able to fulfill it perfectly. But I'm making this covenant with you, and I will be the one to hold, uphold both ends of the covenant. It's crazy. And then all of a sudden, from this one man, the whole story of Israel begins. Now, it's a long story as we've seen, but I want to kind of introduce you. There's sort of like four uh, sort of themes that, that all, all build around sort of this notion of covenant. It's a relationship with God. It's a, it's a covenant with God. It's a relationship with God. And so God has institutes in his wisdom, he gives Israel certain things that is meant to help them with their covenant, help them walk it out. And these things, if we look at them as sort of like elements of sort of this covenant, they're actually really helpful because they help, they kind of help make sense of the big picture. And so I'm going to go through four of them with you, okay? Uh, we won't spend too much time here, uh, but I'd like to introduce you to the first one. First one is this notion of land. Remember with Israel, there was sort of, the, there was this promised land. Of course, back in that day, like you couldn't, you couldn't be a nation without borders or boundaries or a land, right? Like if, like if I showed up to you today and I said, my name is Chris and I hail from Drinlandia, you'd all chuckle at me and then your next question would be, where's that, right? It's 1200 block, 2nd Avenue. Just a little spot we got there. It's great. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, like, and, and even more so in ancient times, man, a nation wasn't a nation without land, okay? And so God calls Abram out and says, I'm going to make you into a great nation to be a blessing to others so the whole world is blessed. This is going to be great. What's crazy, Abram uh, had a wife who was barren. Uh, he was already too old to have kids him and his wife, and he just left the only land that he had a stake to, you know? He had to leave behind the 40 acres that dad had given him uh, to farm and just wander. It's like, okay, God, this seems crazy. But it begins as a seed. It begins as a seed. And so land, land is incredibly important in the story of, of Israel. But each element of the covenant kind of relates to a people. And so, of course, with this one on our screen here, so the land is God's promise, but it's promised to people. And the people of Israel were always promised as God's possession, that it was God's reward, this covenant, being in relationship with people. Very important. So the land and the people who dwell in it, they're all connected, right? They possess the land. God possesses them. It's a great picture, right? It's awesome. Second one, 
we're looking at is the tabernacle or temple. And there's lots of tabernacle, which is a tent, and then later it gets built into a temple. Lots of language about that throughout Israel's story. And it's a major theme. And what it is, is it's talking about God's presence, about how he will be presently present with his people. Yeah, that makes sense. He's going to be there. And so people would have to come to the temple. They'd have to go to where God is. And, and like, it was quite the rigmarole. There was all kinds of rules and procedures and things they had to pay attention to. And it actually related to a role. And that role is the role of priests. Priests were given the role, the, the Levites, uh, as being mediators. So they would, they would handle all the ceremony and uh, the ritual and all the stuff that was required uh, on the temple land so that people could come and encounter God. Priestly role. Good deal. Can I just tell you something like, the priest didn't really do a great job. You'll, you'll read that throughout Scripture. Some were great, some got it. Some were like, they were just trying to make money or wealth or power, and it was, Israel didn't really do a great job in the whole priestly realm. Just, just so you know. The next thing is, the third thing is, is this idea of law. And when you think of law, of course, with the tablets up there, you think kind of Ten Commandments. This is God's Got to appreciate where I went here. Proclamation, using peas. It was great. Um, God's proclamation. It's, it's his instruction. It's, it's the stuff that he's called Israel to do, to be about, and it gets written down, and Israel begins to pay a lot of attention to God's instruction. A lot of attention in terms of, like, breaking it. A lot of attention in terms of, like, not following it was kind of their pattern. And the law relates also to sort of, again, another rule. It's always connected to people or a role or a person. And here we find the prophets. You know, this is the Elijah of old calling down fire. And the prophets were really known as like God's mouthpiece. So they were constantly calling the people back to the Lord or saying, this is what he says, this is what he's done, this is the story, and this is what you're doing, you need to come back. And so there are always that voice of sort of like God's present instruction for them in the here and now. So we've got the written law, which is great, and then lots of the Bible, you get through the major prophets, minor prophets, it's all the, the stories and the heart and what God was speaking to these prophets, again, gets written down and Israel embraces these things, and they become their sacred texts. The last one we're looking at is there's a whole lot of animals dying in, in the Old Testament. And so there was this notion of, like, sacrifice. And the reason for this is, it's a good one to get, is that there had to be atonement, that because of, because of sin, there had to be a way of of something dying in its stead, taking the blame, taking the fall for sin so that something else could be deemed clean again. It's this idea of, of atonement, of sacrifice. And so, again, with the temple, it was all, always sort of set up that these animals would become sin, represent sin, and kind of die um, so that people could be right with God. And I've kind of tied this one and this is sort of like God's provision, that God is providing. A holy God cannot be in communication with sinful people. They'll just be annihilated because he's holy and awesome and amazing. So there needs to be some way of atonement. And so the sac God gives them the sacrifice system to help out with that. Now I've kind of tied it here. It's kind of, I don't know, we might find this interesting, but I've tied it in with sort of kingship. You know, kings weren't really what God had wanted for Israel. He kind of wanted them to be a theocracy where people's hearts committed to him, lived as a nation that 
you know, provided blessing for the rest of the world. But Israel wanted a king, and God was like, okay, we can, we can work with this. And so kings were meant to represent God's rule to the nation. And what you find time and time again in that great big long story is that, man, there really was only one time when the kingdom was at its heyday under David and a little bit under Solomon where the nation's united, things are looking good. David's a man after God's own heart, so things were going reasonably well. And then after that, like, the story just gets bizarre. Like, kings just do whatever seems right to them. They don't honor God. They don't follow. And so that just bow, it leads the people into a, a spiral, or the people lead the king into a spiral of, of just not being obedient to God, and it's just, just this tailspin. And over and over again in the story, they'll, like, they'll disobey and fall short, and God will give more instruction and say, here's how we can make it work. And then they tailspin out of that and it falls and he gives more instructions says this is how we can make this work this is how we can make this right and they tailspin and honestly by the time that you're done the story of Israel and you hit that big space between the Old Testament and the New Testament you're discouraged you're like God's attempt to make a nation he provided in such huge big and miraculous ways and it was amazing but the people just weren't getting it it just really doesn't seem that hopeful and it's in the voice of the prophets that are writing that all of a sudden it begins to arise this, this call for God to do something. That God, we need you. We're not able to do this. This longing God had sent word of, of a Messiah, of one to come who would change everything, who would rule rightly and correctly. And then after the Old Testament, we have 400 years of silence. 400 years of kind of missing pages where God goes quiet. And then all of a sudden, we hit the New Testament. And what happens in the New Testament? Anybody know, guess what our next theme is? Our fourth theme? It's Jesus! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring up the box, bring up the box. This is going to be great. There we go. Yeah, Jesus! And Jesus is a huge deal. Wait. Did we get, oh, Israel, if you're still counting on your hand, hold up your hand. What's your tallest finger? Don't hold it up, just so, okay. Okay, that, that represents, because it's the longest story in the Bible, right? It's the longest one. So it's, it, the longest finger represents Israel, okay? So we've got creation, it's all good. We got fall, don't you do that, right? And then we've got, then we've got Israel. I know it was tricky, I wasn't sure how I was going to go, but there we go. And then we get to the New Testament, and we've got Jesus, and Jesus is incredible. Uh, if you want the story of Jesus, we've got four kind of eyewitness accounts that tell the story, and it's known as the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they're all stories about who he was, um, what he did, the teachings that he gave, the, the people that he healed. And they're incredible stories. But you know what? They, we, Jesus wasn't the Messiah, wasn't the Messiah that the Israel was expecting. They thought there was going to be this military a ruler who would step in and overthrow Rome and put, put uh, Israel back on top, and that wasn't it at all. In fact, when they looked at the story, they thought it looked a lot like this, just a bunch of shambles. Who is this Jesus guy? He's not saying what we think he should say. He's not teaching what he thinks he should say. But if you listen, if you listen to what Jesus is saying in the Gospels, it begins to make sense. He said, before the creation of the world was, I was. I am 
the great I am. And they're like, that's blasphemy. And even though he was tempted and faced trials, there was nothing that could hold him down. He, re- he remained strong and secure. I gotta do my little prep work here. He'd say, no, he sees it for myself. No way, I'm gonna trust what God says. And in the story of Israel, he's, he's the Israelite of Israelites. And he shows up on the scene amidst, after the whole Old Testament as the crowning component to the story. There we go. But the crowning component of the story meant that he gave his life. And it made no sense to his followers. They were like, we were willing to believe that you were the Messiah. We were believing, believe, ready to believe that you were the one to come. And yet you die. And they're lost. But then something really cool happens. He doesn't stay dead. He's resurrected. And if we get the next, uh, oh, yeah, our verse for this is, is clear. You all know this, of what God was hoping to do with Jesus. It's simply John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him it might have life. That's what Jesus was all about. And the neat thing is in our, on our next thing, as we're understanding the whole big picture of this, all of a sudden we look and we realize, oh yeah, that thing about the temple being God's presence, Jesus says, yeah, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days, being I am the presence of God present with you. What more do you need? The priests, all those priests that failed and, and led you and had different motives and led astray and stuff, I'm, I'm the true priest. I'm the high priest. Do you remember the law? You remember the law? You remember all those rules that seemed impossible, that that Israel couldn't handle it? And man, I certainly couldn't live up to them. All those laws, Jesus says, no, 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 the word of God, I am the word of God. I'm the eternal word, and I am here to save. Remember that sacrifice? Remember all those sheep? Remember all those animals that die? And yet it didn't matter. They could have killed every animal on the face of the earth and it, wouldn't been, it would not have been enough to atone for your sin or for mine or for those of Israel's. But here comes the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and he offers his life as a sacrifice for all to once and forever pay for the penalty of sin. Isn't that amazing? You know what, I might, I might have a hard time picking who my best friend is. I mean, I got married, so whew, that was an easy out, right? Jenna's my best friend. But you know, push comes to shove to pick a best friend. I might still have a rough time with that, or colors, or cars, or favorite tool. Like, I'm super indecisive. But can I tell you something? Knowing this story has produced something in my life where the one thing that I know far above anything else in my life is that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior that he loves me, that he loves you, and that he is in the business of saving people and transforming their lives. And that has always been his offer. But we're not done, Pastor Chris. We're not done. It's time, buddy. Bring it up. We got one more section. Can you heave it up? 
Church, that's right, the last theme. Now, I know what you're all thinking at this point in the service. You're thinking it's a donut and you're hungry and you want me to get moving. I was thinking maybe it could be more like a life, a, a, a lifesaver, like a life preserver where, you know, tie a rope and it's like Jesus uses it to save people. But actually, I think it fits more appropriately back here. Not in front of the cross, not under the cross, not hanging off the arm of the cross, but at the back. Jesus, Jesus told his followers that they're the light of the world. Jesus gave his church, those that would trust him, those that would follow him, he gave them the important mission of telling other people about it. That followers of Jesus aren't just those that say, oh yeah, I understand the story, I understand who Jesus is, and I'm good. Followers of Jesus are those who are engaged on mission, who care about what Jesus cares about, which is other people hearing the good news. And friends, that's who you and I are today. The last finger we haven't really covered is a pinky. And it's the smallest of fingers. And you know what? Sometimes it's easy to feel as you're sitting in your seat and as you're living your lives that you feel like your life is small and it's insignificant. But can I tell you something? It's a part of God's plan. That you, as a church, God has mission for you. You complete something. You're a part of something that's bigger than just yourself. And he wants to use you and your story and your life as part of the bigger story, that you're the light of the world. As the worship team is coming up, it's going to probably be a bit awkward to worship with this thing on stage, but we'll do it. One of the things I love about this story, about these five themes, is as I look at them, I begin to realize, well, there's a way that this story is always told and continues to be told. And I realized that actually each part of the story is a divine invitation, invitation for us. For instance, creation, isn't it marvelous? Like our minds can't even fathom it. Creation really is an invitation to worship God as creator. The one who knows what he's doing, the one who can be trusted, the one who makes it good. The fall, it's tragic, it's messy, it's ugly, it's no less ugly in my life than it is in yours than it was in the people of the past. But you know what? It's a divine invitation to repent. To not seize the definition of good and evil on our own terms, but to trust God's terms with it. And when we encounter evil, when we encounter sinful behavior, when we encounter sin in our own lives, to just say, Lord, I trust you. The third one, the story of Israel Really, it's an invitation to know him, to read Israel's story because it points to Jesus. All of it. All of it points to Jesus. Jesus, of course, gave the invitation for us to follow him. And he wants us to do that. And then the last thing, church, he invites us to be on mission. And mission isn't a part of what God is doing. Mission is what God is doing. Just just before they play, I'm just going to throw one picture up there. This is one story I can't leave untold. So just before it goes up there, um, um, once you start getting this story into your life, you, you can't help but see it everywhere. 
And it was a few weeks ago where I'm sitting in my office and I got a panicked, and I mean hysterical panic call from Jenna. And I answered, and I'm like, I fear the worst. I think something drastic has gone wrong at home. Like, I'm like, what's, what's going on? And so, so she kind of gives me a bit of the stuff, and I, and I race home, and I come to the backyard, and this is what I find. We named him Herbie. Anyways, our, our neighbor, Brenda, she's actually here. She's phenomenal. She feeds all kinds of critters at her place. Like, seriously. Like, there's a dove nest in her backyard that's like on a, it's fifth hatchings of, of doves, of pigeons. Like, there's squirrels galore. There are birds. There's deer. Uh, like, and, you know, even the, the odd drinning kid gets fed when it wanders over into your yard. It's, it's awesome. It's awesome. Anyway, so there's lots of critters, and I came home to find that here Lucy Ray had had like about, I mean, it's, Somebody had given it to us, but it's about a $300 pitching net, and it had fallen down, and here this squirrely, we call him Herbie, uh, he went barreling across there and just got tangled in this net. Like, I mean, tangled. And so I get there, it's a hot day, he's breathing heavy and not able, kind of not able to breathe. It's wrapped tight around his neck, and I'm, I'm like, like, oh man, what are we going to do? And, and I, tell, I tell Jenna, I'm kind of looking at assessing this situation, this guy's like frantic and flopping around, and I'm like scared to touch him, so I've got some gloves on, and and I'm, I'm kind of like, and we're trying to get the net off without hurting him. And we can't do it. And so I say to Jenna, I say, honey, it's either the squirrel or it's the net. We can't save both. So I'm going to need you to get me scissors or a shovel. <laughs> okay? And Jen, now those of you know, you know she's in a dilemma because she loves creation just as much as everybody else but she also knows the value of that net. Of course, she goes and she gets me scissors. And we tenderly, she works the scissors and I have the gloves on and he's fighting a bit, but finally he relaxes and snip by snip by snip, we slowly bring this net off this little squirrel, Herbie, so that he's able to breathe. And as soon as the last one's off, I'm kind of looking around and I open it up and he just scampers off free. And the net is just, like, destroyed. There's, like, three massive holes. Like, he must have barrel-rolled across this thing to get that entangled. Anyways, Chris, what is this all about? Well, you know what? The truth is, is that I think there's people here that feel like they're caught in a net and that there's no hope and that there's no way out. But the message of the Bible, the story of Jesus, is that there's a way out. We just need to ask for help. And I think about how this illustration works in terms of, had Herbie just kept fighting me on it, had he not trusted my hands to hold him still and Jenna's hands to cut him out, he, he would have for sure died. And so part of it is just stop what you're doing. Acknowledge you're caught in a net. Call on Christ for salvation. Walk in obedience. And then tell other people how he's provided for you. Why don't you stand, we'll pray, and then we'll worship together uh, by way of response. Jesus, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for the story of the Bible, which is meant to be our own story each and every day, the story of you saving, the, the story of you intervening. And God, I pray that you would stir our hearts, Lord God, that if we, if we are caught in a net and we need you, I pray that we would uh, respond this morning, even, even after the song, Lord God, to be prayed for and, and address that with you. And God, if this message has stirred our hearts, Lord God, and you've placed people on our, 
on our minds, God, that are within our sphere of influence, I pray that we would be bold, take a risk, and share with them who Jesus is to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.